Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza. I am your number one queer cripple, your disabled dreamboat, your goofy gimp. That is me. And I am really excited. We're going to shine a bright light on sex and disability together in this brand new episode. As I promised last week, if you listened to the last episode, I said I was going to review the sessions. And I just finished the movie before I hit record. So I have a lot of feelings about it. I have a lot of things that I want to say about this film. And I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down. So let's talk about the film right now. So if you've never seen The Sessions, let me tell you a little bit about it. It was released in 2012, so about six years ago, and it was given immediate praise for the kind of movie that it was. People said, critics said, it was heartwarming, important, a tearjerker, etc. It stars John Hawks, who plays Mark O'Brien, a man who'd been living with polio and who used an iron lung, and as a result, at 38, hadn't yet had sex. He decides to work with a sex surrogate in conjunction with a sex therapist. He meets Cheryl Cone Green, a sex surrogate, played by Helen Hunt. Mark works with with Cheryl to achieve his goal of sex. The film, surprisingly, was written and directed by Ben Lewin, who, according to my rigorous research, i.e. I went on Wikipedia and looked, The writer and director, Ben Lewin, also had polio. So there is some some disabled links in the film where it's like, oh, okay, you you have some lived experience you can actually draw from to make this believable. I saw the film initially when it first came out. I remember seeing it, not in in theaters, but I got a bootleg copy probably in 2013, and I was like, this film's amazing, and I remember watching it just being in awe of of the kind of representation I was seeing on the screen. And I was really into it when I first saw it. I I hadn't seen it since then. So to sit back down now and actually do a proper review of the film was was really, I think, kind of important for me. I talked a little bit with with, uh, Dominic Evans about the sessions back in episodes 39 and 40, but I felt like doing a proper review for Disability After Dark, about a movie that was given such praise, and a review from a disabled person was really important. So, I'm now, I'm going to play the trailer now. I found a way to get a clip of the trailer into the the podcast. I'm going to play the trailer, and then I'm going to tell you about my thoughts on the film. I understand you'd like me to hear your confession? Yes, I would. 
not exactly a confession. I haven't yet done the deed. I'm here for you, Mark. Is it possible for me to know a woman in the biblical sense? Are we talking about sexual intercourse? I think so. Outside marriage. My penis speaks to me, Father Brendan. This therapist suggested I could work with a sex surrogate who would be sensitive to my unusual needs. In my heart, I feel like he'll give you a free pass on this one. Go for it. Yeah, maybe. Yes, it's good. Hi, Mark O'Brien. Your money's on the desk over there. Yes, it is. That was the wrong way to start off. It really was. Shall we start again? Please. You start. I'm not a prostitute. You don't have to pay me up front. And there's a limit to the number of sessions we can have. The limit is six. Shall we get undressed? Sure. First session. He was extremely nervous. So let's forget about it. Mark, do you want to see this woman or not? No. Oh, it's too late. What floor? 18th floor. What kind of therapist is she? She's a sex therapist. Today, they're working on simultaneous orgasm. What's that? You're going to start to listen to signals from your body. That way, you'll be able to have some control. Oh, God. I understand even among non-believers, the most common expression of sexual ecstasy is, oh, God. <laughs> Picture yourself as a six-year-old boy. Do you blame him for getting polio? What is she like? Cheryl. She's the most wonderful person on the planet. I don't usually meet with clients outside of work. We don't have to do much talking. I just want people to say, hey, who's that gimp with that beautiful blonde? <laughs> what happens when people become attached to each other? Maybe this is a bad idea. I think you've done a great thing. She adores me, and I can get pretty kinky. Am I sharing too much, Father? <laughs> okay, so let's do this. As we get into the beginning of the movie, we see a news clip of the real Mark O'Brien um, using his his gurney and moving around Berkeley as a student from the 80s. And then the newscasters, of course, using horrible tropes about disability, saying how courageous he was, saying, you know, what a big deal it was for him to be a disabled student at Berkeley, blah, blah, blah. And it was, I mean, that was annoying, but it was nice to see the real picture of the real Mark O'Brien before the actor John Hawks embodied the role for the whole of the film. Um, I felt that the newscaster, the newscaster's comments about courage and all those things were super annoying. But again, I really wanted to see the real Mark. And I think that was important for viewers to realize that this guy was a real person. I, again, would have liked John Hawks to have given up the role to a disabled person. I really think there are disabled people who could have done the role better, who could have done the role justice. There are disabled people who, who embody that experience every day and who could have given some real truth to those feelings. And I think John Hawks did an okay job embodying the character, but I still think it's not fair that we didn't use a disabled actor. There are disabled actors in Hollywood who are looking for roles like this. They're out there, and they can do they can do it justice. Now, some disabled people can't act, but I am sure you could find someone who could act this role out. I could fucking do it. Hire me, I'll act it out. Shit. But I mean, I think that there could have they could have really looked at a disabled actor first. 
one of the very first scenes of the film, we see an orange tabby cat outside Mark's apartment, outside just in the nighttime, and the, the, the cat goes inside and sits with Mark, and as we see the cat move, we also pan down to Mark's iron lung, and we see him inside the iron lung, awake, saying hello to the tabby cat. What I liked about that scene was that we see the tabby cat running and jumping and playing in the night, and then we pan down to Mark in the iron lung, unable to move and unable to scratch his own nose. At one point at the beginning, he says, hey, scratch your nose with your mind, Mark, and I just liked the juxtaposition of him watching the cat who's able to move and play and run and jump and do whatever cats do, <laughs> and, and he can't even scratch his own nose. So it was a really kind of artful way to expose the audience to disability through the cat, and I don't even think the audience realized it, and I didn't realize it the first time either, but as I watched it again the second time, I saw that that kind of interplay between the cat who can move and Mark who can't. The next scene, Mark greets his PCA in the morning by saying, not even hello, but by saying you're late. I've been there for sure. And then the next scene we see is this, this woman washing him. Um, and ha- his voiceover is, is oh, this, this attendant, she's a bitch. And I secretly don't like her. And I, I love the, the voiceover of that because there have been many, many times in my experience as a disabled person where I've had the voiceover in my head of like, I super hate this person and I really want this to be over and I wish this was done and let's get it done. And this is, I wish that it would stop. And so I, I, I giggled at that because I thought it was really, um, it was really f- important to show that disabled people do have those inner dialogues with themselves where they can't stand their attendant, but they don't have a choice. There's a discussion of, of power and the PCA. So the PCA is like, is like I need I need an advance for my pay over the next two weeks. And Mark's like, well, what if I don't want to give you the advance? And she's like, well, it isn't too much to ask because I, I do all that stuff for you, right? So there's an immediate, you see immediately there's, an impa- there's a power imbalance between Mark and this caregiver. And... Um, I thought that was important to show because that happens all the time in self-directed care, the many microaggressions and the power imbalances that happen. Um, and the fact that he asked her, sorry, that she asked him outright for a raise or an advance on her pay and then used all the good things she does for him in order to, to sway him to give her that raise was kind of gross. But again, happens all the time. The next scene is we see Mark being wheeled into a church and he his voiceover is he looks at a uh, an image of God, of Christ, and he says, you know, God has a sense of humor. Um, his And, you know, God has a sense of humor because look, look at the life he's given me and that's kind of funny. And I think that's, I think the way he looks at God with his disability is really, really important given that the fact that so many people who, who are, God-fearing look at us in, in really pitiable ways. The fact that he can use humor in his relationship with God, I am not a religious person, but in his relationship with God, I think is really, really, really important. Um, I did not like his relationship. He has a relationship with the priest here. 
who is played by the amazing William H. Macy, who I love in shows like Shameless and stuff like that, but I didn't like him here. I found him to be really kind of annoying. I don't... I'll talk about him a little bit more, but I really didn't like the priest here for some reason. really bothered me. Um, then we, he's talking to one of his attendants named Amanda, who he... Mark is talking to one of his attendants named Amanda, who he kind of has a thing for, and he's fantasizing about her as a stripper and it's pretty funny because it's, it's a flash it's a flash scene it only only lasts like 20 seconds on the screen and it's funny because i've definitely had fantas had fantasies about my attendance not as strippers but like hey maybe your shirt will be off hey maybe i'll see your nipples hey maybe i'll see your underarm hair which p.s is a, a thing that i'm kind of into oddly enough so i've had fantasies about male attendance like that um definitely for sure then he moves on to, it quickly moves into where he's hanging out with his attendant a little bit, and he tells the attendant that he loves her, and she leaves. And it pisses me off that so many disabled characters in movies like this, where we're talking about sexuality and disability, they use love and the, the emotion of love as the linchpin to make them have emotions or any kind of emotion around romance or, or sex or sexuality love is the the one that they're they're they gravitate to and it just it bugged me when i saw this because i was like why couldn't he say to his attendant like hey i think you're kind of attractive can we can you and i like make out some time or do you want to go go and do you want to like get on top of me and fuck maybe he wouldn't say that but but the idea that 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 disabled people have to use love as the gateway for any kind of romantical emotion in films especially is super annoying and we see this in in films about disability all the time and it just for some reason watching it last night when i was watching that scene really really pissed me off i wanted him to be like hey attendant you're hot want to fuck that's what i wanted him to say instead of like i love you i didn't want him to say he loved her i wanted it to be like super dirty and hot so he's a writer and a poet, and he gets a call from his, from his the magazine that he he writes for. And they say, "Hey, we want to do a bunch of articles on sex and the disabled, and we thought of you. Would you be down for interviewing people with disabilities about sexuality and disability?" He and he, of course, says yes, like totally sure. His attendants kind of like gently push him into the idea, and he's like, "Yeah, that'd be great, no problem." Um, and so he does it with them. Also, I love his, I love that it was 1988 when they set this film. I love his how his like speakerphone is so old school and like awesome. I feel like stuff in the 80s for people with disabilities was much more durable than stuff is for people with disabilities right now. Does anybody else with disabilities feel like stuff in the 80s, like the 80s and 90s was way more durable and way more like long-lasting than shit now i feel like everything with disabilities everything for people with disabilities everything for people with disabilities breaks all the time right now and back then it totally didn't anyway his answering machine was super old school and i love that um so he goes to interview this disabled woman about sex and the interview with the disabled woman who's an actual disabled woman is she's talking about sex and she talks about what she wants her boyfriend to do and all the things she wants him to do to her and that was really really cool because the person is actually disabled 
And there's an article that I was reading and doing research last night for the film. Um, there's an article about what if the sessions was about a disabled woman, and I, I'm gonna put that in the show notes because it was really, really interesting and really, really like, really, really. So it was a really, really valuable take on what if we explored a disabled woman and her sexuality, um, and I really liked it. But I also, I th- when he's interviewing this woman in in the film, she's in a she's in a modern wheelchair. You can see it. It's like a quickie Invacare wheelchair that we would use today. But if it were 1988 when this movie was set, she would be in a behemoth wheelchair. It wouldn't be modern and it wouldn't be sleek. She'd be in a behemoth old school chair with wheels that were huge with that like 1980s rubber that we all had, the giant wheels. I had a chair like that. It lasted forever, but she wouldn't be in a modern chair. And I felt like they should have really maybe looked at getting a chair from the 1980s because they probably thought, oh, the audience won't know the difference, but fucking disabled people knew. Disabled people were were watching that scene being like, no, no, that's not how any of this would have worked. No way. There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners, so... We'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carry sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, my name is Ali Wong, and I'm a director, performer, and producer working in opera and theater. I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just wanted to let you know that I have started recording minisodes for the show. And if you're like, hey, Andrew, what's a minisode? Let me tell you. A minisode is a little tiny morsel of awesomeness of Disability After Dark where you, the listener, get to write in anything about disability you want to tell me about, a story, a letter, a thought, uh, a topic idea. Just tell me about your life as a disabled person. Um... Or if you're non-disabled and you have questions about disability you want me to answer, write in and let me know. And then we can really build a community around disability and we'll put them in a little 10-minute minisode that we'll play before the full episodes. It'll come out, they'll come out every Wednesday. So if you want to write a minisode, write me your thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas about disability. You can write them to our new email address for the podcast. You can write them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I will read them back to you. That's I'll read them back to you and we'll wildly speculate about them together. So submit your things for a minisode to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com And we're back. I want to thank our sponsors Come As You Are for being so awesome and eventually they're going to be sending me uh, sex toys to review 
So I'm excited. I can't wait to do that episode. Uh, I also want you to know that, like I said in the little clip there, if you go on comeasyouare.com and you type in After Dark at checkout, you can get 10% off shipping. So that's awesome. Uh, do that for sure. Also, if you want to write in to uh, to tell me why the show's awesome and you want me to play it as part of those little ad breaks we just had there, let me know. Just do a voice memo on your phone. Tell me what why the show's important for you, and I'll put it in. I'd love to hear your voice because this show is just about is just as much about you and your experience with disability as it is about me being the host. So it's a it's a community effort, and I'd love to hear from more of you. And also, if you want to write in your feelings about disability in any way, send them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Anyway, I've rambled enough, and there's so much more to talk about on about the movie, the sessions. So let's get back to my review right now on Disability After Dark. People have criticized the, the humor in the movie as being kind of schmaltzy and like designed to tug at your heartstrings and make it make Mark seem more lovable. And it shouldn't have been that way. People were saying that it should have been like a more a much more dark, tra- not tragic, but like a dark sad disability story but i in watching the movie i really liked mark's quick quips with others in the film he makes a lot of jokes with cheryl cone green uh the the surrogate but he makes a bunch of jokes initially with the sex therapist who's setting up the meeting with cheryl cone green and, and mark he makes a lot of jokes with her at first about his abilities what he's there for that kind of stuff and i felt like that kind of humor may actually reveal a whole lot of pain that Mark's going through. And I can tell you from my own experience in dealing with sex and disability, as I'm sure you may have gathered by now, I use humor as a shield a lot, too. So I know what it's like to make a little sarcastic, sardonic quip when you really want to be like, could somebody just hold me and I don't want to make this joke, but I need to because I have to protect myself and not come off as weak. Because if I if I show my weakness, you'll think that disabled people are weak. So I know, I kind of understand why the the Mark O'Brien character, in a lot of scenes, uses humor because he wants to deflect the pain he's feeling. He goes back to tell the priest about it. I think the priest's name in the show is Father Brendan, but he goes back to the church to tell the the priest about it, and. The, the priest has immediate, like, facial discomfort about what he wants to do and all these things. And, like, you can see that the William H. Macy character is really trying to play this as, like, this big conflict of, like, do I advise this individual to, to, to work with a sex worker? And they use the word prostitute. It's their word, not mine. Um, the, you can see he's struggling with the idea of telling Mark what to do here. Um... And it just feels really forced and overacted. It's like, come on, come on, William H. Macy. Don't make this priest so, like, conflicted. And, like, can the priest not understand this is a part of life? Holy wow. I just, I you know, I don't understand why I felt the priest character to be so annoying. It might be my own disdain for religion plus disability things. Could be that. Definitely could be that. That's why I was like, every time the priest came on screen, I was like, ugh. No, you're the worst. Get off. I don't want to I don't want to see your scene. No, no. No. In doing research and 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 he, doing stuff for the film before I recorded, I read a lot of stuff that said Helen Hunt looks amazing and 
the the reviewers were right. Helen Hunt in this movie is fucking the bomb. She looks really good. I I she looks. She actually, I'm a gay man and I like penis a lot. But wow, Helen Hunt kind of kind of made me feel the feelings in this movie. Um, it could have been because I used to watch Mad About You. Mad About You is still my jam. And that's actually one revival that I'm super excited for. Fuck you, Roseanne Barr. I don't want to watch a revival, but if Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser want to re- want to revive Mad About You, I am so there for it. So there. So there. Who, what kid in the 90s didn't, like, didn't, for just a split second, turn on Mad About You and be like, yes, this is oddly comforting. That w- It was my show. So if, if... NBC wants to re- wants to revive Mad About You. I am so there. So Mark and Cheryl talk on the phone, and she says, "Hey, Mark, how are you?" Like, "Hi," and she has this really thick Bostonian accent, um, and it made me laugh immediately when I heard it because throughout the whole movie, when she did that, I and the real. Cheryl Cohn Green has the same accent, but for some reason, every time I hear that accent, thanks to thanks to Seth MacFarlane, I hear no matter who says it, I hear Family Guy. I hear I hear Peter Griffin. No matter who talks like that in the world, I hear Peter Griffin or like Ted or anything Seth MacFarlane. I hear when people talk like that. So throughout the whole movie, I was giggling every time every time Helen Hunt talked because. It sounded like Family Guy. So as they're talking on the phone, she says to him, let's set a time to meet and let's, when we first meet, we're going to get to know each other and we're going to talk about doing body awareness exercises. And then it cuts to a scene where he's in bed at night in his iron lung and he's talking to his cat and he says, oh my God. No, I wrote it down. He says, holy mother of God, what are body exercises? And I just fell apart laughing because if you've never experienced sex and you're working with a professional for the first time and they mention body awareness exercises, I'd be like, what the fuck is that too? Like, are we going to just mess around? What? I don't know what those are. So I would be just as scared as he was. And then so the day comes when he goes to meet her and... There's a scene where he picks out his shirt with the, with his attendant and to to look really good, and I thought that was kind of sweet and endearing because many times I've picked out shirts with attendants to meet, you know, hookups or dudes, and like that one, that one will make me look sexier, that one will make me look more presentable, that one will look really good, and I just thought it was a really cute scene because that does happen in everyday life with attendant care, picking out clothes to look like a fuck toy with your attendant is something that happens quite often. And then she finally comes to the door and he has a look of abject fear and terror in his face. And I love that scene, particularly in the movie, because when somebody that I'm meeting to fuck for the first time comes to my door, whether it be a hookup or with a sex worker, I have the same look like, oh my God, this is happening. Even if I've worked with the person or or I've fucked around with the person on a regular basis every single time. It's like this surreal experience of like, this is not actually happening because inside I don't know if I deserve it. And oh my God, this is for real happening. 
is this actually happening? What do I do? What do I, every single time I have a moment where I'm Bambi in the headlights, terrified of what's occurring. I also enjoyed, particularly in the movie, when she first meets him, she sits down with Mark and she ex Cheryl explains the difference between a sex worker, between a prostitute, their words, and a sex surrogate, which I thought was really important. Um, I also, the whole time, my social justice brain was being like, say sex worker, please say sex worker, but then I remembered it was 1988, and they would have used the word prostitute more freely then, so they couldn't. Um... And I think her having the discussion with him about what she does and what her boundaries are was really, really important and kind of nice for a minute. Because um, we don't often get to hear the difference. We don't often think when people with disabilities consider hiring somebody, we don't often think of the difference between a, a sex worker and maybe a surrogate. We don't, we don't consider the differences and, and the nuances of that. So it was great that... that the writing team and the writing staff took Cheryl Cohen Green's notes and made sure that was part of the scene. And so right after that, there's a scene where she's trying to help him take off his shirt so they can engage in some body awareness exercises. And she's taking off his shirt and his finger, which is kind of like, I can't remember the word, but it's CP people have this kind of hands all the time where you're, you're, Fingers are your digits. Your digits. Your digits are just kind of there. I can't speak today for some reason. Your your fingers are just kind of there. And his anyway, his finger gets caught in the shirt, and he screams at her, and he yells at her, and he goes, "Oh my god! Oh my god! You're hurting me! You're hurting me! Stop! Stop! Don't hurt me! Stop!" And so she stops and goes, "Oh my god! I'm so sorry! Oh my god!" And then right after that, she says to him, "Okay, Mark, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to cause any pain in any way, but..." Just so you know, it's not sexy to yell at me, which I thought was really important. And again, a nice, a nice awareness of what her boundaries were and what she would maybe didn't like. And I think that's that's very important. I also thought it was really funny when she walks in. The first thing he says to her before they do all this, the first thing he says to her is, "Hey, I'm Mark. The money's on the table." And he goes, "He goes, oh no, that was kind of the wrong way to start this, wasn't it?" And she goes, "Yes, it was." Do you want to start over? And I was like, "That's I, that's really cool. I really like that she asserted her 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 boundaries very very quickly there." And so when he when she tells him not to yell at her, I kind of found that important because while I've never yelled at anybody that I'm sleeping with or done anything to be super kind of aggressive in that way, because I, I that's not my jam. Uh, but if I was in pain, I. I would actually hide it from them and I would do the thing where I'd be like, mm, and they'd be like, what's wrong? And I'd be like, mm, nothing, I'm fine, I'm totally good. And they'd be like, no, no, you're really hurting. And I'd be like, no, it's just, don't worry about it, it's good, go, go. And I'd actually be dying in pain, but I wouldn't want them to see me that I was hurting. So I'd hide the fact so that my male sex partner would think that I was masculine and strong and nothing hurt me, when really it hurt like fuck. So after that scene, she goes in the bathroom and says, oh, I'm just going to use the bathroom for a minute. And, and she goes in there and the, they follow, the camera follows her in there. And she's in there and she she pees and flushes and stands up and looks in the mirror. And she just looks in the mirror and she takes a deep breath and goes, <sighs> and I just, I, as I was watching that scene, I was looking at that scene. 
And I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many guys I've been with who have done that exact same thing. Because there have been many moments in my sexual experiences where the guy will say to me, oh, do you mind if I just use your bathroom for a minute? And I'll say, sure. And they'll leave me there in the in the bed in dead turtle position. I've told stories like this before. But they'll leave me in dead turtle position and they'll go to the bathroom. And I wonder if when they're in there, you know, peeing or whatever it is, when they're in there, are they thinking to themselves, what the fuck did I get into just now? What am I getting myself into? What is this with this disabled guy? Holy shit. And I'm sure even though Cheryl Cohen Green had worked with clients with disabilities before, she was having a moment like that. And I'm, I'm always curious if dudes that I am sleeping with have had moments like that where they've looked in my bathroom mirror and been like, holy fuck. And dudes, if you're fucking me and you've had those moments, I want to hear about them because I think it's important to know like what you to know to know what you're feeling i want to know how all of my disability stuff may be may be affecting you in the moment tell me that shit don't be rude about it but tell me that shit and then helen hunts cheryl cohen green immediately starts undressing and um she she helen hunt goes right for it man you see her whole And I just said man, and I was super gendered there, sorry. Helen Hunt goes, for it, peeps. And it was super, like, it was super, it was awesome. But at the same time, I was like, it's annoying that from a visual standpoint, I get to see Helen Hunt naked, who's a beautiful woman. But I also, as a queer man, I was like, I want to see John Hawke's peen. And so, like, why can't he be naked? Why can't we see his fucking dongle? I want to see it. And we should see more penis in fucking movies like this. And so that's why I love Game of Thrones. Because when they're fucking, they're having sex, you see their dicks. And that's awesome. So if we're going to do another film about disability and where we have, you know, men in the scene or whatever it is, show me their cocks, please. Thanks. Thanks. Just going to put that out there. Future directors who are doing a film about disability and things like that. If you want a nice penis, call me. I have a nice disabled dick and I would love to show it on screen. To show authenticity. And I would have, you know, and she says a bunch of times his penis is substantial. I would have loved to see that we can see her breasts and her vagina and that's fine for film. But for some reason, showing us his dick is not okay. What? I don't, I'm not okay with that. It's a bit sexist. Pointedly sexist, sexist is what I wrote down. So at one point, she's touching his hair and telling him that his hair is soft and being really kind of sweet with him. And then she says to him, hey, Mark, Mark, she says it like that because she's from Boston. Hey, Mark, would you like to (laughs) would you like to touch me? And after I got through laughing at, at the fucking Peter Griffin family guy moment again, because it's really it happens throughout the movie so much. I couldn't stop giggling. It was too, too funny. So after that. I thought it was. I, I thought about it, and it would be really awesome if somebody that I was working with, a sex worker or a partner that I was just with, would ask me if I'd like to touch them. I've never really been asked that before. There's been a sense that they have to touch me a lot, and to touch my disabled body a lot, they, they do that, but they never outright ask me if I can touch them. It's implied, but never really put out there explicitly. 
So and then she barely touches his penis, barely touches him, and he came. And I giggled a bunch at that because literally up until a couple years ago, and sometimes even now, when somebody gets close to me that, you know, I will immediately come like gangbusters. And he was the whole, through that whole scene, he was like, oh, shit, fuckity fuck. And that's literally what I would say a bunch of times. I'm learning to be okay with the fact that if you don't come, it's okay. And if you come right away, it's also okay. Um, Learning to get over that script of like, you have to come at a certain time and it has to be this big climactic moment. Learning to get over that, especially as a disabled person, especially in the situation that Mark's in, where he's never had it before and his only reference to sex is what movies is, to, to not be able to meet that hypothetical standard was probably really infuriating. So they finish up and they're done. And she says, wow, you get an A plus for orgasm. You were amazing. That was great. Really a lot of positive reinforcement there, which which I was conflicted with. And I'll get into that in a minute. But she says to him, um, he's actually, he says to her first, so Cheryl, tell me about yourself. Tell me anything about you. And she goes, well, I want you to know that I'm a very private person. And that's all you need to know. And, and I have a family and a life and it's private. And thank you. And that's what you're going to know. And then it's done, and she goes, and she says, "Okay, I'll see you. I'll see you next week at this time." And I understand why she said that, and I understand the need for boundaries, but I also felt conflicted as a, as a disabled person because even when I work with a sex worker, I want to get in. I want to get into that intimacy with you. I want a little bit of that. I crave that. So the fact that she shut him down right away, well, it may have been necessary. It felt. Hard for me as a disabled guy to watch that part. So when they're done, he leaves with his attendant, and his attendant says, So, what was it like? How do you feel? And he says, I'm cleansed and victorious. And he goes, Well, tell me about your first time. And she goes, Oh, let me think. She goes, it was, I was with this guy, and his dick was really big, and I wouldn't think it would fit. And they talk about the difference between a dick and a penis, and he goes, why don't you call it a penis? And she goes, because a penis sounds like a, a dirty vegetable you don't want to eat. A dick is what it is. It's a dick. And I was like, oh my God, so much this is me. I don't like saying penis, but dick, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I, I fully understand that. I just thought that little exchange in the movie was funny. When Cheryl goes home and tells her husband what she's been doing and the kind of work that she's been doing with this new guy. She's like, oh, I'm working with this guy who spends his whole day in an iron lung. And as they're getting to bed, her husband looks at her and goes, you're a saint. And I just thought, ew, why? There's so, there's, there are, as much as I appreciate what this movie was, and it was so much more different than, 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 than um, me before ew, but there were little moments of ableism, and I just had to call them out because they were there and it was gross and ew. So then cut to a scene where they are attempting to start intercourse and Mark says to Cheryl, what can I do? I felt that was a really real question because as a disabled person, you want to be active. And so him asking her, what can I do? Was really him saying, what can I do to make this work for you too? He also mentions a bunch more times when he comes too early. He's like, oh, fuck. And I agree with that, too. When you 
when you are disabled and you prematurely ejaculate, again, I'm learning that that to not to not be worried about whether you come or not is fine, but it does take some mental training and, and hating your own orgasm as a disabled person for a while can be super real when you deal with premature ejaculation and disability. Okay, there is another bone in the movie that I want to pick here a little bit. Everybody in the movie, all the characters at one point or another, in some way or another, tell Mark to stop, quote, thinking about it and thinking about his nerves and stop being nervous and don't be nervous and don't just let it, just flow with it, just flow with it. And as I watched this, I got super angry because as a disabled person myself, who can't move without much help or do anything without any kind of help or planning, thinking and overthinking things and planning it out and thinking about what it's going to be in your head is a safety net of sorts for us. It's a really important part of our experience as disabled people because a lot of the time we live in our own heads and it's an important way for many of us to navigate the world around us. Sometimes thinking about it and overthinking about it is all we have. So, able-bodied people telling us not to think about something, I know where their intentions are, but sometimes it feels super ableist. So, for this one session, they go to a hotel. So, he, the attendant, and uh, Cheryl meet at the hotel because his friend, her house is not accessible, is not open that night. So, they go to a motel to do it and um, doing it t- saying do it sounds weird but they go to have their session together um, and when they're in there the concierge says to the attendant he asks what's wrong with Mark and his attendant says his attendant tells the concierge what's wrong with him and that like uh and then the concierge asks what they're doing, and she tells them what th- she tells them what they're doing. She tells them they're having sex. She's like they're having sex, and I was like, "Fuck, attendant, you seemed awesome until you violated the guy's privacy. Let the guy have some moments that are just for him." To go back for just a minute, I felt the same way when Cheryl tells her husband what she's been doing with Mark and kind of the work the the session, and it was like. Why are all of you telling everybody, why can't this this moment this guy has with you be private unless he chooses for it not to be? Why? It's like, Cheryl, don't tell your husband. No, 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 no. Also, you telling your husband will plant a seed of jealousy, which does come out later, P.S. Don't do that. There's a scene where she's straddling him and she's got her, her bod in his face and he's trying to eat her out. Um, and he starts choking, and he, he's choking, and he he gets out. Oh, I'm choking! And she's like, "Oh my god, so sorry." So she gets the the ventilator and puts it in. He's fine. It's okay. And um, I start giggling because the major difference in the sex that I have with dudes, if they were straddled over me with their dick in my face, and I was choking on his dick, I would hope they would say, look down at me and giggle and say, "Good boy." <laughs> So that's the major difference between me and Mark O'Brien. The conversation Cheryl and Mark had about Mark wanting to make Cheryl come too is one that I've had with so many lovers in my life. 
it's a constant concern for me. So it's nice to see it played out here because it is very realistic for a disabled person to want to make somebody come and to want to provide that kind of pleasure, as I've said many times. Throughout the movie, she praises him a bunch more and says his orgasms are great and he did a great job, which again, I think is important and I think I understand why that was used as a creative arc for the movie to show that, you know, disabled people can have good sex too. But I would also like to see, in a more realistic vein, tell him the things he needs to improve on a little bit and the things that you that the worker would have liked to. P.S. If you're fucking me ever, which you all should want to do because I'm... The best. Yeah, right. But if you're ever with me in bed, tell me what I'm doing that's not so awesome so that I can fix it. And I, w I want that feedback. That feedback is critical for me. So don't pr overly praise me. Provide me with some real feedback. And when she kept praising him and not giving him feedback that was positive, that was like real, I was annoyed. So then there's a scene where Mark and his priest have a beer together, which I really think was just an excuse for John Hawks and William H. Macy to sit and have a beer together um, because it was a really weird kind of choice for that. The priest to go to Mark's house and have a beer was really odd. Um, so they're sitting there doing that, and he says, Mark says to the priest, uh, when I'm done with this, I'm going to write an article about it. And I giggled about that because... I have done that exact same thing, written articles after I've had sex with somebody. Literally, after we were done finishing with each other, I was like, can I write a piece? And it can be really problematic, as I'm sure I've said before. So I just laughed that that was a part of the, the scene, because that's happened to me in real life. Then there's a scene where Cheryl Cohen Green is sitting at her, making notes about, about Mark, and she's talking about how he's dealing with transference and how he's falling for her and, and making her out to be more than she is and making her to be grander than what she is um, and I just got annoyed because it was like of course he must be susceptible to falling in love with the worker because he's disabled and she doesn't say that but it's totally implied throughout the scene and I was just like oh blur many bits of ableism why why then there's a scene where they go out in public together after he calls her he calls her house and he's like, Hey, hey, it's Mark and she's like, Mark, you know I don't see clients outside of working hours, like you know that's my boundary. And I again I get why he crosses the boundaries because I've been in situations with workers where I wanna blur the lines a little bit, but it's so so she agrees to take him out somewhere nice and, and go out with him and have and have, you know, a nice coffee together or something. And so they're sitting together, and I and he goes, "Well, it's really nice to be out here with you. It's, I want people to look and, and wonder how the gimp got the hot blonde." And I've had that desire so many times to go to like a coffee shop with a good-looking guy and be like, "Look, look, everyone, I am fucking this person. Look at me, I'm amazing." Um, and so I thought that scene was really true to life. Uh, and then Cheryl says, "No, Mark says to Cheryl." You know, if so, if one of your friends walked up to you right now and you had to in introduce me, who would you say that I am? And she was like, well, I would say that you're my husband. Why don't we go all the way? We're just pretending, right? And that really bothered me because none of, none of 
my sexual encounters with anybody, even if it's in a working capacity. None of that's pretend. And I realized she was trying to set a boundary, but as a as a real life disabled person, none of none of my sex with anybody is ever pretend. It means more to me than even I would like to realize sometimes. But uh, it can be. It was really annoying to hear her say pretend because none of it's pretend and none of it's a fantasy when I engage in sex. None of it's that. It's real, very real. When his former attendant stops over at, in the next scene and is like, and and secretly says to his other attendant to let her go in for a minute, that's cute until she sits down and is like, I love you. I love you. And then he, he tells the priest that she said, I love you, but not in that way. And all I wrote down in the notes was, yup, as in how many times do disabled people get to hear that you love us, but there's no way it could be romantical love. Never, ever. Like, holy, holy fuck. And I like when Mark says to the priest, I wanted my former attendant for a minute to feel jealous of me now that I'm a made man. I wanted her to feel jealousy and see that I was worth something. And that really cut me kind of deep when I felt that because there are many times where I wanted people to... to feel that way about me, be jealous that I, that I have something just for a second, not in a, not in a necessarily bad way, but just pine after me the way that I pine after you. And there's a scene then where his current attendant um, tells the concierge more stuff they're doing, and I again was like, "Stop telling everyone Mark's sexy time." No, no, is what I wrote in the notes. No. Um, and then after their, what is supposed to be their last session together, Cheryl goes to leave. Um, and Vera realizes that she left her, her check there. Um, and she goes to bring it to her and Cheryl's crying because she didn't really want to leave Mark and she kind of had to cut him off to maybe protect herself, but... What I was really annoyed with in terms of that scene was like, it's really annoying that you left Mark because you might have had feelings. Yeah, and I mean, again, the part of the whole thing that bothered me about this whole thing was that why did Mark have to have feelings? Wouldn't it have been awesome if the whole time he was with Cheryl, he was like, yo, I just want to fuck and I want us to enjoy this these six sessions together and I don't want to fall in love with you. Wouldn't that have been cooler almost? I think so. But I wonder, you know, Cheryl was falling for him and that's why she left. I wonder how many guys that I've been with have cut me off and cut off our relationship because they were scared of having the feelings. And I I can think of one or two right now that have happened recently. And it's like, maybe you cut it off because you felt something and that sucks. I'd love you to feel something and be able to use your words and tell me what that feels like to just cut me off. Feels like fucking when Cheryl cuts Mark off in the scene and says we're done. You can see the pain in, her fa- in his face. You can see the, the like, oh, I guess it's over now. I guess that was my one shot. And that's sometimes how many of us feel about sex and disability. Like, oh, okay, we had sex. I guess I'm never going to have it again. That's it. We're done. And that sucks. 
at one point in the movie, Cheryl talks to Mark about how she's going to convert to Judaism for her husband. And so there's a scene where she goes into the synagogue and she meets with Rhea, with um, with somebody who does that. And the character is played by Rhea Perlman. And I was like, for a split second, I was like, whoa, Rhea Perlman and Helen Hunt in a scene together. That's like genuine classic TV royalty right there. And I just had a moment of like, yep, that's amazing. I'm here for this. Yes, yes. That's awesome. So then there's a scene where he, so his Mark's pump breaks on his iron lung and it like stops working and he's there himself at night. I And I also really don't think he should have been left alone at night. I know that may sound a bit tad ableist and I hope not, but I really think if you were somebody who needed breathing stuff, I would want somebody there all the time. Probably, probably the truth of that is the state didn't give him enough money to have somebody there all the time. But I would have wanted somebody there all the time to make sure that I kept breathing. Just, you know, that would be a thing that I would have wanted. Um, anyway, when his pump breaks, uh, it's a really light moment. And it probably should have been a bit more, like, serious as to what was happening. Um, they could, they should have shown how scary it could be. But then I also thought, like, as I was writing, they should have shown how scary it should be. I also was like... Listen, when serious medical things like that happen to us cripples and gimps, we kind of just roll with it and go with it until we can't roll with it anymore. It's really, it never feels that serious because we're so used to being in medicalized spaces that it's never as, like, serious as the TV would make it out to be. We're just like, yep, that's happening, I'm dealing with it. When I had C. diff and, like, crazy things were occurring or I almost died from having, having, um walking pneumonia one time yeah yeah that happened uh, when the you know you just roll with it until you can't roll with it anymore it never feels as like intense as they make it in the film and so i retract that statement it shouldn't have been it should maybe have been a little bit more serious but not crazy serious like not in super intense And so once he awakens from having lost consciousness at the hospital, he meets a, a hospital volunteer who is wearing, I got to say, the fashions in this film were super like early 90s, late 80s. And they were kind of amazing because his hospital volunteer is wearing like pink, a pink scrub suit thing. And it looked super 80s. And I kind of love that. That was kind of great. Um, so he's talking with her and flirting kind of like, innocently and then he says to her hey hey guess what i'm not a virgin i'm not a virgin and it just it came out of the blue and it made me laugh when i watched it and then it's his voiceover of that he was with this woman this aide they this um volunteer they came became friends and then they became lovers and then they were together for five years before he died and the movie ends with his funeral and cheryl and his new love interest his new love interest reads the letter that he wrote, he wrote a letter to Cheryl that she read privately and her husband freaked out about it and they had a whole thing about it. Um, so they, his lover, Susan, reads it at the funeral and then it fades and we're done. And it's it was, it was really a simple movie. There were some definite problems with it. The movie is based on an essay he wrote, Mark wrote, called On Seeing a Sex Surrogate. And I've placed that in the show notes the link to that if you want to read that it's a really good article 
Um, and so I also found some clips of the real Sharon Cohen Green talking, and I want to put them here at the end because you can then hear that she does really sound super Bostonian, and she does kind of sound like a character from Family Guy, and it's, it, no matter what you say, she's awesome. I'm sure she's great, but I could not stop laughing <laughs> when I heard that. That accent, that accent makes me laugh, and it also makes me think of, like, Jimmy Fallon when he used to be on SNL and he used to do like wicked cool I can't even do it but like wicked cool that kind of stuff on SNL when he him and Rachel Dratch used to do that I used to fall apart laughing so I've included some clips of of Cheryl Cohn Green talking about her experiences meeting Helen Hunt working with Mark what that meant for her all those things just so you can hear her and um yeah so that's that's the review of uh the sessions, and I want to do more movie reviews that I can sprinkle in as, as episodes. Um, if you have an idea that, of a movie that I should review around sexuality and disability, let me know at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Also send in your things for Minnesotes um, because I want to get more of those. The Minnesotes are my favorite thing. I love reading your stories and being given the privilege to read them back to you on the air for the Minnesotes. So please send in more. I'd love to do more of those. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and this has been Disability After Dark. Bye! It started with Mark O'Brien wrote this short story, and it was titled On Seeing a Sex Surrogate, and he wrote that in 1990. He and I had worked together in 1986. Ben Lewin, who's the director screenwriter of the movie, found the article and he read it and he said he was just, he says, it's hard to move me emotionally. And when I read this, the feeling is that I felt, if I can write a screenplay based on this and move people the way I've been moved, I think we have a beautiful story here. He found me and he said, would you mind meeting with me? And I said, no, I don't mind at all. I'd like to know more about what you're thinking of doing. And in the process, they wanted to find out who I was. And they jokingly said to me at Sundance last year, we weren't sure who you were. We thought maybe you might have just a fetish for having sex with disabled men. I said, well, no, it's not a fetish, but it's my goal to have everybody. As I told Mark, he said he thought he'd look through a window and everybody was having a feast on the other side that he'd never get to taste. And I said to him, well, you deserve a seat at that table. So let's see what we can do. We met at a restaurant in Santa Monica, and I talked and talked, and I explained to her how I touched and uh, mock and how I, what my goal is when I'm working with a client to help them become more sex positive and feel less shame. And he had a lot of that shame and guilt because we both grew up in Boston, and he was Catholic, and I had been Catholic. We had a bonding thing with that, and um, I wanted him to feel that what his desire, whatever he desired, I could handle. She listened so closely. I am so proud that she represented me the way she did and the work I do. Since Sundance, it's been an unbelievable ride. I love this theater. I would recommend it to everybody. The food was great. The, everybody here who I've met so far, you know, the people working behind the counter, I'm dying to see the theater inside itself, but this is fabulous.
right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities, so I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.